Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your weekly wildfire update podcast, keeping everybody informed on what's going on in the wildfire world every week. Lots of stuff to talk about here initially. We always start off with operations. Lots of things have picked up in the last week around the nation, whether it's uh, down south in the southern area or now out east in the Smoky Mountains. There's a lot going on now. I'm sure a lot of you heard for the first time in 2022, the National Interagency Fire Center increased the planning level to two nationwide. So we are now at a PL2. And most notably, the southern area has been increased to a PL4 or a planning level four. They will start prioritizing resources now to the southern area now that that PL level has been increased. So notable large fires that are going on right now, a couple of them are getting wrapped up and a few just broke out in the last 24 hours. Out in Tennessee, the fires out there are getting the most media splash right now. Still kind of hazy on some details because they are still in IA status, but they are very fast-moving fires. Most prominently, the Indigo Lane fire. There's also the Hatcher Mountain fire. Some people are calling it the Indigo Lane Hatcher Mountain fire. So there's still a lot of uh, confusion on what exactly is happening on the ground and even naming these things. And these details will tell you why. It's approaching 4,000 acres, those two fires combined, and over 100 structures have already been destroyed. So very fast-moving, highly residential area in the Smoky Mountains where these fires are taking place. In the initial attack response, they are saying that five fire trucks have been compromised or damaged. So people not watching their uh, ingress, egress, maybe doing structure protection and sticking around too long, Uh, perhaps just some motor vehicle accidents. It could be something as simple as that. Uh, But those details, I'm sure, will come out further. They are not saying or mentioning that there have been any injuries or fatalities on these fires yet, but just from the videos and pictures that you've seen, uh, these things are moving very, very quickly. They had 80 mile an hour winds on site of the fire when this thing initially took off. They have split these into two separate incidents. There is a state team that has taken over one of these fires, and then a fed team has taken over the other fire. And it is, as reported, it's the Southern Area Gold Team that has taken over control of one of these fires. So now they're going to be collecting resources, finding priorities, deciding where line will go, and just really getting that major long-term to mid-term view uh, established with these teams now in place. I do know a couple hotshot crews are in the region uh, and available. Some called from out of region. Uh, Smoky Bear Shots went out there. Cherokee is on now, and there are others that have been called. Whether they're staging these hotshot crews in anticipation for more IAs or if they're going to pull them over to there, uh, I haven't seen which which is the case yet. But there are resources from around the nation already in that area. Next up was uh, another fire that spooked a lot of people coming out of Boulder, Colorado, mostly because of the footage that came out of that. 
there was some pretty significant fire activity that that ended up being fairly short-lived, but it did show that with the understory dead grass and the mid to high elevation timber was taking and carrying fuel, or excuse me, carrying fire very well. They had a team take that over, and basically their plan is to let it run up into the rocks and the snow. There is still some snowpack down in Colorado, but when this thing did break out, it was 80 degrees in Boulder that day, or just down in the valley, and uh, bottomed out at 10% RH, which is kind of crazy to think that they're already at 10% RH. It was a weather system that came through. They did receive a little bit of rain after this all happened, and uh, it looks like they'll get this thing contained and squashed. They did evacuate 19,000 people. So 19,000 people got evacuated for this fire. The fire ended up only being 200 acres. But uh, like I said, it spooked a lot of people, and mostly because of the Marshall Fire that took place in wintertime when they had a wind event of 100 mile an hour come through and it looks as though it was either arson or accidental. The investigation is ongoing. But that fire ripped through a community and destroyed a bunch of homes and put a lot of people on edge. I did end up writing an article about the Marshall Fire back when it happened in January, just because I got a flood of messages from local folks down in Colorado who were trying to respond to this thing but it was the COVID mandates that were keeping people from being dispatched. Like they were directly being told that they needed to show proof of their vaccination before they responded to the Marshall Fire that was ripping through neighborhoods and engulfing homes and burning them to the foundation. It's an interesting article. Uh, It's entitled Colorado's Dispatch Hesitancy. And like I said, I got an outpouring of messages all the way from volunteer to departments to people in the Forest Service who had trucks dewinterized, loaded and ready to go. And they were told to stand down because the people providing the dispatch logistics were requiring every firefighter responding to the Marshall Fire have some sort of vaccination proof. And, you know, these people are sitting at the fire stations ready to go, and this is what we're talking about is neighborhoods are getting burnt down. So that is why the NCAR fire, which was the one out of Boulder, spooked so many people and caused them to evacuate 19,000 people for a 200-acre fire. The Marshall Fire really put everybody down in Colorado on edge. So Colorado might be a hot spot going forward. Uh, Next, down in Texas, they are, again, they're in the southern area with a PL4. They have 38 uncontained large fires right now down in Texas. A lot of these things are getting wrapped up. We're looking at 50, 60, 70% containment. And if you've been in the industry long enough, if you start approaching that 80, 90% containment, the fire is basically done, barring some sort of wind event or some sort of... Uh, incident that makes it squeak out and then, you know, it blows up again. But a lot of the Texas stuff is getting contained, except for the Washita River fire, which is just north in Oklahoma. Now, yesterday, it alone grew 28,000 acres, grass and brush fire, fast, fast moving fire. Seems winds are very, very strong uh, pushing through this region within the last couple weeks. 
So the Washita River is 28,000 acres just in one day. I believe it's a total of 35,000 acres and low containment on that, but I'm sure they can pump and roll and get around that thing once they get some resources on hand. The Eastland Complex in Texas, which was the most prominent fire down there, it got all the news uh, videos of ranchers tilling their yards to try to stop this thing from ripping through their farms. That is 100% contained or just under, and they've released the initial cost at $5.2 million for this Eastland complex down in Texas, which was the first really large-scale fire in the United States to catch some sort of media attention from down south. And then in the southwest area, they're wanting some action, but they sit at a PL2 right now. The only thing notable down there is the Presumidu Peak Fire, uh, which was in Arizona at 2,600 acres. That thing's getting wrapped up. They're claiming 70% containment on that. But there's been a lot of fire managers down in Arizona predicting a big, big season down in Region 3. I know a bunch of crews are coming on down there and getting ready for the fire season, which will come uh, and is being predicted by most forest uh, managers, FMOs, and others down in that region they're giving talks saying that this is this is looking like it's going to be a big year. Uh, another notable fire is the one over in India right now. Uh, it's 10 square kilometers and growing. From what I've read, it, the weather is cooperating now and the thing is starting to die down. Uh, what I thought was super interesting, though, is it's in a tiger reserve, which tigers are big over in India. That's their large cat comparable to our mountain lions over here in the United States, uh, Canada, and Mexico. And the big concern out of that was the cats moving down into residential areas. And you may think, oh, you know, we have wildfires here and some bears come out and deer and stuff run around. What's the big deal? You've got a cat running around. So I looked up some stats, and in a four- to five-year period, tigers killed almost 300 people in India. If you do the math, that means one person every six days is eaten by a tiger in India. Like, Think about that. That's crazy. So that is legitimate concern. Like, hey, this is our largest population of tigers. There's a fire pushing them out into populated areas. Oh, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is in India, every six days, someone gets eaten by a tiger. So it's kind of a big deal. They employed the army to come in and help out. Uh, they have their helicopters running and dumping water on this stuff. It doesn't really look like they're putting too much personnel up in this reserve, but uh, mostly aircraft and aerial operations to get this thing kind of dumbed down. That about wraps up our operational update. I'm sure a lot more will come out. I'm keeping my eyes on Tennessee and the Carolinas with the weather and fire receptiveness that's there right now uh, in that region. And then we'll have to start keeping our eyes on Region 3 and the Southwest region when that starts to warm up. I had a buddy tell me that a fire broke out in Montana the other day, which was kind of shocking to me, knowing that it's this time of year. I don't think it was very big, but he said it did keep a lot of people on their toes and they're now thinking to themselves, okay, now we might have a big fire year. So we'll keep you updated operationally on all the social media, the Instagram, the Twitter, the Substack for sure. If you do enjoy the content and the podcast, newsletter, and all the social media stuff, 
consider subscribing monthly to the Substack. That's how I'm able to keep this podcast and the whole operation running. And a portion of all of your monthly subscriptions do go to firefighter GoFundMes and other donations to help out firefighters in need. And when we do do that, I do post the donation links so everybody who isn't a monthly subscriber who would like to participate themselves can go and visit. That's your operational update for this week. So in fire news this week, the National Firefighter Registry may finally be moving forward. If you don't know anything about this, the National Firefighter Registry, or the NIR, it was established, and I'll put that in quotes, established in 2018 and is a volunteer basis registry or database to track cancer and other illness in firefighters so they can build some sort of database and understand long-term what their effects are of fighting wildfire, if there are any, and if there are, what we can do to mitigate that. So they're trying to collect as much data as they can, but this thing has been sitting in bill status with not a lot of action for four years, but now they're finally saying they're going to move forward with this. When they're saying that they're going to move forward with this, you got to take it with a grain of salt because if you dig deeper, there is a committee that is in charge of all of this thing and a bunch of committee members resigned within the, like the last two or three weeks. It seems like they cleaned house and now they're kind of restarting this whole thing, which makes you wonder why and what's going on there, what happened in the committee. This should just be a pretty straightforward committee if people want to volunteer health data to this registry they can, and you track that, and you make some sort of media push to get people involved. But it seems like there's kind of been a a mass resignation, and now they hit the restart button on this whole thing. So it was created under the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. This agency is under the Center for Disease Control. It's under the CDC. So it's a CDC program that seems to be faltering and failing and has been on the books for four years and they still haven't even created this thing. It seems like there's a lot of problems with it. It's a good thing. They should do it. But it seems like they just can't just can't get the ball rolling. I think that this is a, a good database. I would like to look at data on stuff like this. I'm glad it is a volunteer basis. I don't think anything should be mandated. You shouldn't have to mandate that firefighters give their their health charts or health information to a government database. But if people want to volunteer to do that, I would I'm all for that. It's a it's a good thing to put together. I have friends in the fire industry who for years now have taken kind of their own roadmap to track their own health. Uh, one buddy uh, who's a jumper now, he would take chest x-rays of himself after every fire season. He would go in and sign up and say, hey, I'm just here for a chest x-ray. He would pay out of pocket and basically as his insurance policy. And then he kept all this stuff notarized to see if there was any degeneration in his lung capacity or anything else like that as his career continued through wildland. 
as to date, he hadn't seen anything like that. All the chest x-rays came back clean. He wasn't seeing any lung issues or chest issues with that. But this was just a firefighter being proactive and understanding that, hey, down the line, if this is an issue, maybe I'll have this insurance policy that I've put together for myself, which it would be, uh, to prove, hey, this is directly related to my work here in the fire world. Now, a similar piece of legislation was kind of stapled onto the Tim Hart Act in the similar manner, which basically puts together a health database to provide data and track uh, firefighter health through the years. And if we look at where that is right now, the Tim Hart Act still has not left committee. Um, I don't expect it to anytime soon. After the midterm elections, I kind of see it hitting a uh, a reset button because we don't know who will be in office at this point in time. So it would be great to see some progress on this stuff. Like I said, this National Firefighter Registry was passed four years ago and they just had a mass resignation of their subcommittee and there's not even a database put together yet. But they, they did put out a statement saying that they're working on this now. But after the midterms, it might be a reset for the Tim Hart Act as well. I hope not. They have already said they're pushing it back to the 2023 legislative session. But my concern is, as always, and I've expressed this before, when it comes to the fire world, it seems our policymakers and our lawmakers just seem to kick the can down the road. They make a lot of promises. They raise a lot of campaign funds. They raise a lot of re-election funds and garner a lot of popularity for backing these kind of things. But you never really see a tremendous amount of progress. Again, I saw it after Yarnell. I saw it after, sadly, you know, with the Tim Hart incident. And I would hate to see it happen again. This is the best piece of legislation for wildland firefighters ever. Hands down, I'll take that to the grave. It's so well written and put together. And I would just hate to see it used for fundraising, for re-elections, and using it as a political bargaining tool in Congress. That would that would be tragic, and I would hate to see that kind of stuff. But they are saying that this registry is going forward after four years, and like I said, I would love to see this data. I would love to see what the results are of this. So, hey, get it done. Like, let's actually move forward with something. Let's try to get it done. And until then, maybe just do what my buddies have been doing in fire, which is just keep personal medical records and uh, see where, if any, there's some degeneration in your health long-term because of, of these things. So the other day, there was a really good PBS NewsHour segment that covered local residents that were burning their own land and the benefits for this and how it can help reduce the impact of wildfire around your land, your neighbor's land, and overall just improve the forest health around your property. I was kind of shocked to see that they put something like this together because for the longest time, they've been saying how horrible wildfire is and how it's contributing to global warming and all of that sort of stuff. But they kind of put prescribed burning in a very positive light in this segment and just talked about how these landowners had been put through some sort of short little training 
They were provided with drip torches, and then they would walk around their property and do some burning. They focused on a guy who had 24 acres in California, and he was just going to rip off four acres. And it was a nice little fire. They recorded the whole thing. And then they talked about how they were happy that the local resources were getting involved and providing not only support, but understanding that, hey, this is something that landowners can do. And it's a good thing overall for everybody. I'm a huge proponent for this kind of thing. Where I grew up, this was kind of frowned upon. The way I see it is out west. So you got Oregon, Washington, California. The local residents there are scared of fire. And they're scared of prescribed fire. And so you haven't been seeing a lot of it in the last couple decades because people just associate it with a with a bad thing. It could get out of hand. What's my liability is a big one. People are concerned about the liability concerns if the fire escapes their property and goes somewhere else. And I just shouldn't be doing this because fire is bad. Then you move east a little bit and you hit the mountain states and they are more receptive to prescribed burning. Not a lot. There's some states where it's getting better, but they're still a little apprehensive. But you move up into those ranch states, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, parts of Colorado, even parts of Utah, that that's normal every day. Ranchers are ripping their fields off. They have large burn piles that they need to take care of. So it's seen less as a stigma to do prescribed burning in these mountain state areas, but there is more of a stigma in these mountain state areas against federal resources helping them or breathing down their neck while they do it. There's more distrust in those states for the federal and even some state resources. Then you move into the Midwest and the East Coast, and they it's kind of off their radar. They don't even see it as like, hey, we should be we should be burning our forests. We should burn our land uh, in small chunks here and there. It's just not even seen as a thing they should be doing because they see longer winters and kind of a wetter summer. But that's when in the shoulder seasons, the spring and the fall, that these states, even some of the prairie states, you can be burning large amounts of acres. Then you move down to the southeast, Georgia and Florida, and they have been on board for with prescribed burning for a very long time. They have a very healthy prescribed burn program and promote this in their regions. Now, the biggest thing coming out of this PBS segment was that agencies and governments are working to pass legislation to reduce the liability on the individual who is doing the burning. It wouldn't all be on them if they received proper training from these agencies and informed the proper agencies of what they were doing, then the liability would be less than if they didn't do these things. Like I said, I'm all for this. I think if you do own large chunks of land, even if you own 20 acres, I believe it's responsible too in the spring and and fall shoulder seasons to maybe burn your understory. Set a little fire, make sure you're prepared to handle anything that could happen, but you can easily manage that sort of thing if you just tell the local forest, this is what I'm doing, this is when I'm doing it, this is how I'm doing it, and this is how big it is. And I think that can be very beneficial going forward when it comes to a residential and government-based fire management environment. You will run into some landowners, though, who don't want any involvement with the government. There are numerous stories 
of this sort of thing happening where the locals just don't want you to be any part of it if you're a part of some sort of government agency. You know, I've seen firearms in Montana on fires when we rolled up there. They weren't hostile, but they made it known, hey, this is our property. We got it handled. And, you know, you got a pistol on your hip and, you know, your kid has a shotgun and he's sitting in the passenger seat of your truck. But like I said, not hostile. One of the most hostile moments I can remember was up in Idaho, maybe about a decade ago, where there was a fire. I don't remember the name, but I do remember it was one of the largest in Idaho history, ripping through the Boise area. And a homeowner went to a hotshot superintendent and at gunpoint told him to build line around his property. Then you must fight this fire that's coming at my property. And the the hotshot soup said, well, number one, don't threaten me. And number two, no, like I'm not going to bring my guys into this hostile environment and do this for you. And he stood his ground. And then the type one IC was called through different channels. And the IC showed up and told the hotshot superintendent, and I believe there was multiple hotshot crews there, you have to dig line around this person's property. And it got elevated to the highest levels. Sheriff's deputies were called. And in the end, the IC was removed from the fire and was actually stripped of all qualifications. So no longer able to be an IC whatsoever anymore. Then there's areas where you show up. It could They could be neighbors. One ranch says, stay off my goddamn property and has a pistol in his hand. And then you move over to the next ranch house and they got caramel sticky buns and lemonade for you. So it's kind of a hit and miss type of thing. You just got to be aware of this stuff when you're going onto people's property to assess what they're doing. But if they're doing prescribed burning like this PBS show was talking about, they're probably going to be welcoming to you because they don't want it to go onto their neighbor's property. And if you can just provide a little assistance to them while they take their drip torch and, and rip off five acres... Uh, they'd probably be pretty happy about all that stuff. As the season starts to heat up, we're going to see more large incidents, more uncontained large fires. Uh, I'm going to predict we see a PL3 by the end of April unless uh, some some rains come in and, and wash out the southwest area. But I think we're going to see, see some record PL5 durations this season. And with the shortage of people in the industry and the heightened view of our industry now uh, around the globe, you know, in a previous podcast, I talked about the new, the UN is getting involved in wildland fire policy. We just need to be heads up. And uh, be aware that the public isn't totally in the know when it comes to what we do. But I'm trying to help spread that word, spread that message, kind of get everybody on board and understand that this is a complex environment. We know that. And it's a complex environment for people who aren't in the industry because it's hard for them to understand, but they are very, very interested in it. And I'll keep trying to do that. Again, everything is supported with your subscriptions through the Substack. I really appreciate everybody who's doing that, and it helps me stay operational and push these things out every week and gives me the time and energy to continue posting live updates of operational wildfire incidents on all the social media outlets. So remember, if you've started already, 
It's a marathon, not a sprint. Keep yourself healthy. If you're starting soon, quality calories count. Stretch when you can. Hydrate and get it done. (laughs) 